Julie, we're always telling our listeners that the way that we find our guests is by dropping into their DMs and harassing them to come onto the podcast or stopping people that we meet when we go to wineries or out in public. Basically, we just like bother people until they come on as guests. Um, but I'm proud to say that that this guest, we didn't drop into their their DMs. We met them or I met them in a different way. So we're making progress. How did you meet this guest? So <laughs> I don't know that I know this story. I guess it's really not too different than dropping into somebody's DMs. A couple of years ago, I was doing a fitness challenge um, with Aubrey Winters. And she was doing some different workshops, incorporating like some mental health and wellness type workshops in addition to some like actual physical activity type stuff. And so one of the workshops was around Valentine's Day and we did this kind of like love workshop and just like relationships and just discussing like what kind of person you are in relationships. And we had on Dr. Diane as a guest. And ever since then, I've been following her. She's also a huge fan of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, which I'm a big fan of as well. Um, So I finally decided to ask her to come on and be a guest. We're going to be talking to a love psychologist today. And I'm like getting this to like you accidentally meet someone at a bar and that's how your love story starts. Like you met her at an actual function. It wasn't like a blind date or a setup or anything like that. Yeah. Like a little meet cute. Yeah. You went out into the wild and you found someone. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to be fair, there were hundreds of people in this, um, this workshop. So she, she, when I emailed her, I was like, Hey, I, I know you through this. And she knew exactly what I was talking about, but personally we have not talked one-on-one yet. So I'm excited to get to do that, but I just had so much fun in her workshop. And one of our friends, Kaylin had joined me too. And like, after we did it, we were like, everybody we know needs to like talk about this stuff. She takes like kind of like a personality test in a way where she she takes like your relationship style and then like applies a character to you based off of your results of this survey so that's really interesting it's called the love style quiz which I'm sure we'll talk to her about but I'm super excited she kind of refers to herself as like not a typical psychologist She's got a ton of background in like relationships and she's helped thousands of women find love. So we're excited to talk to her. Yeah. My last experience dating was through the apps. So that was a hot minute ago. I mean, that's more recent than my last experience. True. Very true. It was like the apps didn't exist. (laughs) I was on the forefront of the apps. It was like, it had to be the first year it came out and everybody was just like, those are just for hooking up, blah, blah, blah. Um, Flash forward. Like it was the, it was still the time when it was embarrassing to tell people that you met on apps. That's how long ago this was. 
So I know nothing about the love psychology. I, um, the only thing I know is Tinder, shout out. But uh, yeah, this will be exciting. Dr. Diane, welcome to Explain Yourself. We're very excited to have you tonight and to have some fun girl talk with you. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. So we always start off with a little cocktail or beverage. Um, I am having some rosé because it kind of, you know, it kind of felt like it fit the mood for the night. What are you drinking? I am drinking some Chardonnay in my gold glass, in my gold wine glass. Mm -hmm. I, I love the gold wine glass because it's making quite a um, a frenzy on the internet right now with Love is Blind. Absolutely. I'm a big fan. So that's why I have my glasses. <laughs> they were hard to find, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, they, they, for people who don't know, they use the, wine, the gold wine glasses for editing reasons so that they can kind of piece yes. together the scenes so that you can't figure out like what when things were recorded or if they're out of order, which is so sneaky and so clever. Well, it keeps your wine cool and I don't see my lipstick then either. So it's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Julie, what are you sipping on? I was in a hurry tonight and I got back from Trader Joe's and I had grabbed some sparkling green tea with pineapple juice. Um, for those of you who have seen our post this week, there was a hot debate over coffee or tea on Monday. So um, even though coffee won, I'm probably just going to stick to my tea, but that's just me. I don't know. I'm team coffee all the way. I'm coffee. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the coffee. It was funny. I was like, Julie, wow, posting like quite the selfie on our Instagram. I was like, if this is what coffee gets us out of Julie, then I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, well, okay. I, everybody will be enjoying their beverages as we talk more, but let's go to the very beginning and find out what you wanted to be when you were a kid. You know, um, Annika, I didn't know what I wanted to be actually. I didn't have a real distinct idea when I was little. I um, thought I wanted to be an attorney, actually. I had some idea that I was going to be working in an office and something that I thought was maybe a little bit more like high powered. So I thought I was going to be an attorney. I didn't really know what that was, but you know, <laughs> apart from like every girl wants to be a teacher because you see teachers and then I somehow thought an attorney. You know, that that's quite the position to think of when you're little, but I guess I have this very vivid memory that you just unlocked of me in fifth grade being in the debate team. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know it, but I guess I also wanted to be at least a lawyer, maybe not mm -hmm. an attorney, but at least in the law profession when I was younger, because I remember fighting for my life um, <laughs> as to who got, like, we were debating on who got the rights to a really popular, like, song that had just come out, and mm -hmm. I remember fighting my friend Michael over it. Um, yeah, so I guess, okay, so we're on the same page so far, but you didn't actually pursue that, did you? No, I didn't, because um, I'm trying to think of what led me then, so I'm obviously a licensed psychologist. It wasn't until 
later in my life than really in college, but I'll tell you actually, a powerful experience happened to me when I was 12, that I was in a house fire and I was burned in a fire, uh, third degree burns on my legs, spent two months in the hospital, had trauma. I was in seventh grade, it happened the summer of my going into seventh grade and I missed a ton of school because I had like was in the hospital the entire summer. Um, it was very uncomfortable for me to even stand and even sitting in a chair feeling like the blood rushing into my legs was very uncomfortable. So I didn't start that school year till after Thanksgiving. And um, it wasn't until later in my life that I realized that when I actually experienced this trauma in um, when I was 12, that no one talked to me. I didn't have a single person talk to me or my family about the trauma that we had been through. And this was much earlier. I mean, this was in the 70s. And it came to me later in my life, like, wow, what, how that would have been different had somebody been there to talk to me. And that really kind of fueled my passion, I think, for psychology. I think in the past couple of years, just going through what we've all gone through, mental health is finally taking a like really prominent forefront in everybody's mind mm. and understanding that we all need it. I can't imagine the 70s having that same <laughs> um, kind of connection to it. So yeah, that sounds incredible. Well, I also tell this other story, which I think is kind of sweet, and I didn't like put it together till later, but the first book I ever read as a kid, right? And I have it right here. Hold on a second. The Snoopy book, Happiness Is. And I had a set of Snoopy sheets. And there was Lucy with her little help five cents. So the psychiatrist is in. And I remember going to sleep with these sheets, right? And I think it might have implanted the thought early in my life seeing like the Snoopy sheets and I didn't know what help was or what a psychiatrist was. But again, just pulling it all together later, I think it was kind of interesting how Snoopy made an impact on my life. I think the kind of general concept behind an attorney is not too far off from a psychologist. Exactly. Because yeah. both of them are trying to help people. So you kind of, you didn't go too far off. No, and and it, and more the analytical kind of way, but if I also go back to why would I have chosen to become a therapist? I was always good with people. People always came to me. I mean, you hear this story, people always come to you with your stories. I was um, middle child in my family. Actually, I was like the youngest of three, and then I had a much younger sister who was like eight years younger than me. So I was really in many ways the anchor and I was always actually quite extroverted. And if you watch me on Instagram, I'm a ham with my reels. And I was that I was that kid then. I was also a bit of an actress and loved the school plays and drama. And so I think it's just uncanny to me how this sort of comes to my life now. But there was that part of my life um, 
that I was much serious. And now as I've gotten older, I almost feel like I have more ability to sort of play again, if that makes sense, to be a little lighter. So you go through that around, you said around seventh grade. So you had a pretty good idea going into high school and kind of towards the end of high school, exactly what you wanted to do. No, no, not really. I have to say, so I didn't in high school. I was just, you know, general sort of humanities. I went to, um, so I was born and raised in Chicago. I went to a a public, I went to Lane Tech High School right down the street from Wrigley, which is a college prep school. And so you take languages and you take, um, you know, math and science. Um, It was an intense experience, but I started college still not knowing. I actually thought I wanted to possibly be a business major. And then my first psychology class in college is when it came together for me. And then I realized, ah, I think I really like this. And there is no like law 101 course that you could take. So I was sort of like, well, how am I gonna get to that? And I thought, well, I'm gonna have to do two years of a prerequisite anyway. But it really was then because we didn't have psychology courses in my high school. So I I wouldn't have kind of gotten there. I didn't know took that course, loved, 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 loved my professor, actually, Penny Prather. I still remember her from uh, undergraduate at U of I in Chicago. And um, I became her assistant. I signed up to do independent study with her, worked in her laboratory, and then realized I really love this. And um, worked on a crisis line in inner city Chicago, ended up working at a halfway house, um with emotionally disturbed developmentally disabled schizophrenic people um and it kind of started from there wow so that's a lot of that's a lot to take in kind of at a young age the crisis line can we hear a little bit more about kind of what that entailed and also how do you deal with that mentally oh oh my god You know, it was really an interesting experience. So I started undergraduate, I had a sense, and I talked with everyone that if you want to go into psychology, you're going to need to get at least a master's degree or a doctorate. So I knew that I was going to have to get a lot of education. And I thought, well, how am I going to get into graduate school? You need to have experience. So I'm at the University of Illinois, Chicago, downtown location, which is very, um, very urban. And um, I found out about this crisis hotline and I said, well, that would be great because how can you test out a career, like whether you like it or not, unless you actually do it. So I became a volunteer. We had to work these like incredible overnight shifts, answering all telephone calls from all the Chicago metropolitan area, just like random, I'm talking really weird, difficult phone calls. And then I did that for years, actually, and then became I decided I loved it so much that I would become like a supervisor on the in touch hotline and trained other people how to work on the hotline. Yeah, Julie mentioned that's like a lot to handle. So how do you kind of like separate that doing that at night and then kind of going and doing the rest of your life? You know, I have to be honest, I've, I, um, 
I mean, I even earlier than that, both of my parents are like Polish immigrants and had really tough lives. And we had no money. And we, my dad was a plumber. There were five kids. My mother was, you know, a stay home mother. We just all learned, suck it up, work hard. So I don't, it, there wasn't a lot of room for how to handle it. It was, it was like, okay, this has happened to you. Um, and not to say I didn't much later in my life have to handle the trauma earlier in my life, particularly from being a, a burn survivor, which was really hard. But the message was work hard. We have no money. <laughs> you got to put your way through school and you just did it. And that's, I hate to say, but that's just kind of how I did it. I, I paid for my own way through college. I also worked as a waitress while I was going to school full time and working on the, on the crisis hotline and then worked at uh, the um, developmentally disabled place as well. So I was hustling and to be frank, college was not fun. I didn't go away to college. I wasn't in a frat. I wasn't going to parties. I was working. So it was a rough, I have to say it was, it was rough, but it's made me a very disciplined person and a really hard worker. Which was great because you had at least probably what, six years of school left after undergrad? Oh my gosh. Yes. So then I, after, um, after undergrad, I moved to California for graduate school, did a two-year master's program, then did a four-year doctoral program, then did a postdoctoral ship, and then you have to get 3,000 hours towards your license to become a psychologist. So I don't even know how many years that is. It was a lot, a lot, yeah. So what's the biggest difference between like the education in the master's program and the education in the doctoral program? Great question. So um, I, I moved out to California, which in and of itself was difficult because I was engaged at the time to a guy that I met in Chicago. He got a job in California, so we moved together. That relationship ended up not working out, so that was hard. I was working then in a residential treatment home for emotionally disturbed kids, um, doing the two-year master's program working at night and working going to school at night and working during the day like i'd work from seven till three and go to class from six till nine so that was also challenging um but never left off my foot off the off the gas because i really didn't have any backup after that i took a year off between my master's and my doctorate started my doctoral program at university of san francisco while i was working at stanford in behavioral medicine and doing school-based research. So that was also challenging, <laughs> um, but you do what you have to do, which is kind of how I've always been able to manage lots of different things, but not a lot of fun time, I'll tell you, not a lot of time for play. You're getting to have all of that now, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> you just yes. took a very long path there. I did. <laughs> Um, so as you're going through these programs, mm -hmm. do you kind of have the mindset of like, you want to start your own, I don't know if practice is the right word yes. in this situation. Okay. Do you want to start your own practice or is there mm -hmm. one that you're looking to join? Like what, what were you thinking as far as like future plans and next steps after you were done with those programs? Cause obviously you're, you're taking, you're doing them for some sort of end goal. 
Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I always knew then that I wanted to get the most education and I wanted to get the best training. I could have stopped at the master's level. I have, I know, you know, brilliant people who are marriage family therapists, but I really wanted the next step. And um, going to University of San Francisco then, and then I really wanted great training and then doing my postdoctoral internship at Stanford was really the icing on the cake because I really got great training. Um, I didn't know exactly if I wanted to go into private practice because I was also doing research-based therapy at Stanford and I could have gone that route. But I felt like just my natural skills, my inclination is towards clinical work. And so I liked the balance of some research with clinical work. And I have to say that again, I did like to get the highest degree of education so that to me, I really felt like I was providing empirically based treatments to people that felt really solid. One point actually in my career, right when I was, I was working at Stanford, I finished my postdoc and I was making the decision, do I wanna work at Kaiser? Cause that's also a, a, a great option to work as a clinician there where you don't have to go get your own clients and people don't realize you know, being in private practice is being an entrepreneur. You've got to market yourself. You've got to create your own practice. You need all of these pieces in place. And then talking about pivoting with COVID, we can get to that. And I said, well, I could work for Kaiser or I could try to work for myself. But if I'm working for somebody else, I just felt like I would lose my independence in terms of having to do the paperwork. And I've actually never worked with um, insurances. I work with self-pay patients. So, cause there's a lot of paperwork and I, I had the sense that I wanted to do it on my own terms. So that's what kind of guided my, like I've worked so hard this long, I might as well keep going to make it work for me. So did you know the whole time that when you were going through school that you wanted to focus on family and marriage counseling? Not really. I, you know, I, here's what I would give if I was going to give advice to anyone, say yes to everything. You know, before you get to narrow down and, and really niche down, you have to have a lot of general experience. So the uh, numbers of things that I did along the way, I regret none of it. I mean, I was so grateful that I was so eager and I literally would just sit, raise my hand for everything. Sure, I'll do it. I'm your person. I, I'll work hard. I, I mean, I've worked with so many different populations in different settings. Like at Stanford, I worked um, in a driving phobia treatment for Pete's sake, literally like people afraid of driving. I was the person who was like hooking them up on, are you afraid of driving? Okay, I literally was the driving phobia specialist working with like this German guy who the program I was working with was in German. I couldn't even understand. I had to like figure out the icons and hook people up and then literally take them out driving and encourage them to drive in traffic. It was crazy. But like I said, yes to it. And then now if I'll get a client who has like driving phobia fears, I'm like, oh, I know what to do. So like you just say yes to everything. And then I worked with people who had epilepsy in a group and I worked in the chronic pain clinic with people who had chronic pain. And then afterwards they hired me for different clinical trials. I worked with heart attack patients who had depression and led groups for social support. Then I worked with, you know, the elderly, geriatric people in hospital settings. I've worked with children with emotional, um, 
issues. I've worked with parents. So you don't know where it's going to go. You just say yes to the next thing. Like I didn't know where I was going to end up because how could I? So I just said yes to everything that came my way. Yeah. There's so many options with psycho psychology. Like there's, like you said, it would be impossible to know probably no. exactly where you would want to go. And then it's kind of like, well, what if I'm interested in something else you'd never know unless you've tried all of it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the beauty too. And then what I love about psychology too, is that you can also dabble in things. Like I didn't know I was going to do couples therapy. And quite honestly, your career kind of changes as your life does too. So for instance, now I'm a dating expert and a relationship expert. Well, I didn't know I was going to do that, but the truth is I struggled myself in dating and relationships. And so I believe you have to have had some lived experience in an area to then later go, I went through that for a reason. Like now also I, I work um, for the Byrne Foundation as a volunteer. I, I didn't know that that was all going to come together somehow, but you have these experiences and then you pivot on them later, possibly much later. But you go through that and now I have something to offer. I, I love marital therapy, but I couldn't have been a marital therapist as a single person. Like I really had to feel like now I have to be married to then that's my life experience. And what I love about my profession is that I can keep recreating myself too, based upon even where I am in life and what I'm going through. I think that too, that makes you so much more valuable to your clients and your patients, because like you said, like, I wouldn't want to hire somebody and work with somebody for marriage counseling or relationship advice if they like have never experienced that. Cause like, why would I, tr why would I trust anything you would have to say if you've never walked in my shoes? It's hard. And I'll tell you as an early trainee, right? So here I was single and people would come to you like, sweetheart, kind of like, how old are you? And you're like, ah, uh, really? I know more than I look like, right? It is hard because people do ask you those questions. Now, no one asks me that question. I'm older. I have the experience. It's You just sort of assume that. But it is hard as a young trainee where you're like, well, my, my education is current, right? But that's all you can really say. So when in your, like, when in your career did you settle into this marriage and dating aspect? Well, I'll tell you not that long ago. So as a clinician then in private practice, I've been in private practice for over 20 years now, so it's been a long time, but I have had mostly a general practice till I really have to tell you about the last five years. So my practice was very general. I would see depression, anxiety, do cognitive behavioral therapy. Again, I'd have chronic pain patients, OCD, um, phobias, uh, then I worked actually at Stanford on a sleep clinic trial, which was fascinating, helping people who have insomnia issues, did a very specific treatment focused program for them. Um, and then it was really about five years ago, I want to say, I started doing more marital therapy because I really wanted to get advanced training, really loved that. And then actually, I started my Instagram page like four years ago. And even then I had a website and it that's already morphed three different times. I was like, honest truth dating. Then I'm like, people don't like the name honest truth dating. Then I became secure in love. Then I'm like, eh, the colors are kind of dark. And 
then I branded myself as the back to love doc because of course every other URL was taken, but I'm like, what do I do? I help people get back to love. And my last name is Strakowski, quite honestly. So it's so long, I'm not gonna use that. So people just call me Dr. Diane, the back to love doc. And that caught, and then I had to go back and actually change my website. And in the meantime, though, what I loved that I did that I created back to my research base, my roots, um, I created a love style quiz and launched that five years ago. And now I've had over 65,000 people take my quiz. So it's been a great way for me to blend it all together. And then during the pandemic, I had to pivot again because I had an office that I was paying for. Meeting all my clients, we completely shut down, moved to Zoom. I canceled my lease. Thank God I was able to get out of it. And now I've been on Zoom. And then I created all my programs in the last year and a half. And now we have seven different online courses that I created because I took my son's bedroom and created into a studio at home. And now I film all my courses. We've got backdrops and my husband retired and he does all my video editing. And we've created this business together through COVID, which I hadn't really counted on either. If you had asked me five years ago what I would have been doing, I, I didn't know. I would have just been doing what I was always doing, which is just kind of general therapy. That is a, a great like COVID way to pivot. Like you, a lot of people were stuck with these leases. They didn't know what to do with, and they're just paying money for something they're not using. So I'm glad you were able to get out of that. I want to go back to, you mentioned the quiz that you created. Yes. So before we started recording with you, I was telling Julie how I kind of found you through a couple of years ago, I had done this, um, challenge with Aubrey Winters and oh, you yes, had yes. hosted one of the workshops that we did. Yes. And we, we did the, um, love styles quiz and you talked us through that. So I was trying to explain this to Julie before we started recording. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, and what it is, how it works and sure. how you use that to, to help your clients? Absolutely. So Years ago, and if I look back at even my own history in my own dating journey, I got married later in life and I had been to seven different therapists, seven, like trying to figure out why am I so anxious? How come it's not working with this guy, blah, blah, blah. And therapists would be like, calm down. It's fine, honey. And I'm like, you don't understand. And then I found attachment theory and attachment theory, honestly, is the best theory of any bar none, if you want to understand yourself in terms of your attachment styles. So that's when I started studying with um, my professor who is Stan Tacton, who's written a lot of books and has this program. And that's when I started going deeper into couples therapy. But back to my research base, I wanted to create my own quiz because I felt like the information out there is kind of pathologizing this anxious, ambivalent, anxious, avoidant, being called disorganized or fearful avoidant. And I didn't like the terms. I also don't think they're very descriptive. And the tests that were out there at the time are like a hundred questions long. Some of them you have to pay a fee. So I said, I can do this better and I can do this for free. 
Now, at the time, I also didn't realize I should have been capturing the data of all those people, but I kind of just created the quiz, got the data, but like didn't get their email address. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I didn't know. But it was very hard technically on the on the back end of my website to actually create a quiz because it's not just rank ordering like one, two, three. It's like, okay, you answer A to number one and then B to number two. And then how do you actually rank order those from a statistical perspective? Anyway, I created the quiz. It did better than I thought. People love quizzes. Then I finally now have captured people's emails and I put them into categories. So I called you Nervous Nora or Nick. I call you because that's the anxious type. It's just more neutral because it is your nervous system that's sensitive. I call you independent Isabel or Ian instead of calling you avoidant because you like to be independent. I call you confused Connie or Connor because you're confused in relationships. That's the person who's had trauma. And then I call you secure Sophia or Steve. That's the person who had was highly attuned to their parent and has a secure attachment base. And now I have statistics to back it up about who is in what category and it helps so many people and what i love is people who follow me just call just call themselves hey i'm a nora and i'm like i know exactly who you are and so was i i was a nora too and so being able to normalize this and just give it a grouping really helps and so i have characters and i've developed those over the years and i have illustrations and i have a, a guidebook what if you're nora and your partners and ian how are you together so that's where love is not one size fits all and you've got to figure out your attachment style that means during stress what do you need and want from your partner and you got to figure out your partner's attachment style who are they and then together as a couple what do you look like and so that's a lot of my work and it just guides how I work with couples to understand their background and their history. It's not a diagnosis though, because it's not in the DSM. It's not like I'm going to write that in my records, but it guides my work with you. And I know that in general, these are the patterns that you have based upon that attachment style. If anybody's interested, probably doesn't come as much of a shock. I am an independent Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> Does that fit for you? It fits very much so, yes. Um, so very accurate, you guys. If I would recommend taking your own, we'll post it in the show notes. Um, yeah, Annika, have you taken it yet? You took it I, during the thing. I think I was a Sophia, if I remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm for sure an Isabel. And then I was like, oh, I'm not an Isabel. <laughs> well, I do. I, I and. And here's the thing too, that I love about the theory of attachment theory. It's not that you're stuck. It's not like I'm a nervous Nora. And even then on a scale of one to 10, where am I? Am I high level? Am I lower level? But I'm moving towards security and it doesn't matter where you start. It only matters where you end in a secure functioning relationship. So people, I'd like to help them move in that direction, but the secure person does some things even naturally because they grew up in this safe base, essentially, that we need to just help the insecure per person get there. And it's really helpful. And I've developed this four step process that I've been doing with my clients. And then I made that into my online courses because I thought the problem is as a clinician, right? I only have so much time. I can only see so many clients, but also if you live outside of the state, I can't meet with you because our license says you can only meet with people in California. So 
um, people who contact me from different countries, they can purchase my courses then and take them, which is really just me videotaping myself with a bunch of B-roll talking about this process. That's a really good way to just like thinking business-wise, like a great way to grow your business because you're thinking outside the box and not sticking to, oh, I can only find people in California. That's super smart on your part. (laughs) Well, and anyone who's a service-based person, right? Um, And part of my bigger plan is I am hoping to write a book. I'm working on my proposal. I've got to get that out. But, But really creating products that create kind of a legacy for people because so much of this, I'm really passionate about it, having gone through this, my experience myself, what my attachment style was, and then really letting people know that you can work on yourself, that you can improve, and that relationships are more satisfying because the older you get, you also realize that what else matters really, but your relationships. So if you are like not in a relationship, but you Mm -hmm. have this information about yourself, how can you use that to impact what you're looking for or how you interact? Does the course cover stuff like that? Absolutely. Because what I really do is why it is helpful to see four different types of people too. And that love is not one size fits all because so many self-help books are like, do this. Okay. So back in the day, um, like the rules was a dating book. You girls are too young to probably, do you remember the rules? Okay. You didn't hear about it, but the rules was like, be cool and be breezy and be unavailable. But if you're an independent Isabel, you already are cool and breezy and a little bit more mysterious and a little bit more unavailable. So why would I tell you to double down and do more of that? You see, right? What my advice to an independent Isabel would be, you're really afraid of being vulnerable and you don't let people in. And how else is anybody going to get to know you? So what is your fear? Is that information going to really be used against you? What is your fear of conflict? Because you're going to put up a wall that everybody has to be perfect and there could be some fears of conflict. But you got to work through the conflict. You got to normalize it. So my advice to Isabel is very different than my advice to Nora. Who is Nora? Nervous Nora connects fast. She goes deep. She um, might not have good boundaries. She is going to be in love pretty quickly and is going to get hurt equally as quickly. So for her, my advice is like, slow your roll, girl, right? But you got to know your nervous system because your nervous system, when they say like, trust your gut, I'm like, no, girl, don't trust your gut. Secure Sophia should trust her gut because she's got a good gut, but that's not your gut. Your gut is filled with gas, girl. Do not trust it, okay? Because you're saying... Oh my God. Oh my God. Right. I haven't heard back from him. Oh, there must be something wrong with me. Like there's nothing wrong with you. He's busy, but you've interpreted like you've done something wrong because you learned that pattern in childhood to be a people pleaser. You learned to work hard in your relationships that that's a sign of love. And that's not actually really accurate. So you have to see the pattern of how you connect and you might be attracted to unavailable people. You have to unlearn that, okay? And now learn that secure people might be a little boring, but they're dependable and that's a better match for you. So knowing this information is crucial to know I need to calm myself down, I'm getting ahead of myself, 
or I need to open up more. How else are people going to know how I feel? So for me, it's the guiding principle. Once I know your attachment style and your communication style, because I have a sub-level here for high and low expressive, that's what I call a love style. It's a combination of your attachment style plus your communication style. Then I know immediately how to guide you. So for me, it is just the assessment. The treatment comes, and then also for you specifically and what you've done and what you haven't done and what are your difficult sticking points. Are you having trouble meeting people? Are you having trouble getting second dates? Are you having trouble getting into a relationship? Because everyone's different at different stages. Then I'm going to guide you with that. So it's just incredibly helpful for me to figure out what my treatment plan is for any given person knowing this information. I think too, it helps like personality quizzes and like Enneagrams and love languages are so popular right now. Yes. And I think it's something for people to not hook onto, but it's, it's easier to understand than you were saying the language that a lot of like theory books you, where it's like, that just goes way over my head, but you put mm -hmm. it in this perspective that's easy to understand. And it's like, oh, okay, now I, I can see what I need to do or how I am or how I react in these situations. And I think that's why people love anything related to personality types or um, some of those other types of quizzes. Oh, they do. They do, Annika. I mean, the, the love languages, for instance, it's been so helpful for people to understand that not everybody loves the same way. And now you have to communicate to your partner exactly what you need and what you want. I mean, it's it's very helpful to try not to clump everybody together because we want to feel seen and heard. And I want to identify with someone else who's like me. Julie and I just read, uh, we, we have a, a book club that we do uh -huh. for the podcast and we just read the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. And that I was, that. it was really interesting to, I thought for sure my love language was going to be the same as my appreciation language. And mine was different. Julie's was exactly the same for both of them but um yeah we i i love those types of things and then like enneagrams too i think it's like it says so much too about like the people you work with or how you are in relationships um absolutely and if you're a manager or you're even just a coworker, right to understand that you know one person might need a lot of praise or validation or good jobs or high fives and the other person doesn't need that they just need a little space or peace so it's just information and then what you do with that can really make your relationships go smoother i'm piecing a lot of things together right now being an independent isabel my love and my appreciation language are both gifts because I don't want to hear your words. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear your words. Let's keep this silent. Let's just give mm -hmm. each other nice little gifts. Mm -hmm. Creating a little barrier because I don't have a great communication style. Mm -hmm. um, okay, this is a mini therapy session for me, Annika. I'm glad everybody's going to get to listen to this. <laughs> well, and that's so true because honestly, independent Isabel either is physical um, or they can do acts of service, that's another way, or gifts, because they don't have to go to the verbal. But a nervous Nora type, for instance, an anxious person loves verbal praise. Because that, if you want to make them happy, give them compliments. 
be in touch with them, ping them a lot, send them lots of texts. So it's just, again, information to know how to love that person. Literally, I have to tell you what's been golden for me too is I finally hired a business manager because I was doing this all on my own. And I don't know a stitch about marketing. I don't know anything about marketing or sales pages or anything. So I hired this wonderful woman um she's the second person i've hired and she's just been terrific and so she does all my emails she helps me with my blog posts we meet weekly um if anybody is in that position where they can afford help definitely take it because i have only so much bandwidth to do my reels post every day on instagram see my clients and then try to do my videos and video takes an incredible amount of energy so i write my scripts. I have a teleprompter, another golden thing that you need if you ever do longer video. I can't stress it enough. A teleprompter is worth your life in gold. Um, just because you can read it, you can like look at the, you know, I, I have it scrolling while I'm talking to the camera. And um, I help people. I have my core foundational courses for my four types, Secure Sophia, because even though she's secure, she's got issues too. She can be a little passive in love. She cannot put herself out there thinking it's going to happen organically. And she needs to understand the other types. So it's like, who the hell are you? Like, you look weird to me because you just know people of a certain way and you've got to understand the population. You've got to understand that 46% of people are nervous types. 27% are the independent types. 30, well, about high 20s or low 30s are the secure types and the other confused types, thank goodness, are, are much lower, like five to 6%. So you have to know that information, it's helpful. So those are my core courses. Then I also have a course for how to date with intention, how to date with purpose. I go through like how to have your vision and then what's your strategy because people are doing it unconsciously and it's disappointing. And then I have a course, how to get over your ex, because oftentimes people would come to me, my clients come to me, I'm ready to start dating. And then we talk about it. And of course, there's an ex in the background who you haven't dealt with the grief, you haven't processed it, you don't, maybe you're still pining for them, holding out. And unless you actually put that to rest and understand what happened or didn't happen, you may not be in a position to really start dating. So I wanted to create this for people. And then I have um, a course to just understand, are you right for me? Are you my person? So who are you? Who am I? And um, then I created my couple's handbook, which is a written guide as opposed to kind of audio. So those are all of my courses, which I literally just launched the last courses in January. So I am here um, now, again, marketing these things, ongoing working on my book and actually i have a surprise product but i can't say what it is yet so it has something to do with this could it be wine could it be a gold glass could it be something related to that mm -hmm. okay well and the other thing that i didn't mention which i have to do a, a little shout out to i also am a huge follower of the bachelor and this has been a huge part of my platform um, I've been following the show from the very beginning, literally from the first season. And I used to just, you know, it was my guilty pleasure. And now I'm like, we have real life examples of what to do or what not to do in dating. And so I just created a YouTube channel. I call it Rose Therapy, 
where I'm talking about like, what can we learn from this episode about love? You know, why did this person do that behavior? Maybe they have an anxious attachment style. Maybe this person just didn't feel safe to share. So I go a little deeper, not just a rehash, but like I try to take a theme or two. We just had a therapist on The Bachelor for the first time ever. And I went deep into this, like, was this good therapy? Was this not good therapy? Which it actually wasn't. Um, And how I might have done it differently. Um, but I've been on some podcasts. I got on the Nick Vial podcast, which was great. I flew down. We we processed because there had been this traumatic uh, blow up sort of episode. I was there for it. And um, and then I've been following Love is Blind because I'm fascinated by, um, I, I mean, I just did a post on the finale and it was like my second performing post ever. So yeah, I was it's, just it's a big audience. Yeah. Julie, if she had watched it and Julie is like not a reality TV person. Okay. So um, we can't um, get behind that with her. Yeah. I, I am obsessed with Love is Blind. Yeah. I, the Bachelor franchise has kind of like, not, not, I've not outgrown it, but I just haven't I really watched the last couple seasons. I think, I think just like, I don't know if I'm just like a different stage of life. And I'm just like, I, they're, the women are so much younger than me now that I just like, mm-hmm. cannot wrap my mm-hmm. mind around how some of them are acting. I'm like, you're literally crazy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but the love is blind. I just like, am so fascinated by the concept of it, of them talking to each other in these wall between this wall and then getting engaged before they've even met somebody which is, I mean, good for them. I would not be able to do that. I need to see somebody, but it's just like, I've only talked to you for like a, maybe a week. Ten, 10 days. So okay. they're in the they're in the pods for 10 days. Um, some people get engaged sooner than 10 days. Um, and then the then they get married 30 days after that. Once they've gotten engaged, I know, but how do we get here? It's that people are frustrated with online dating. People got to the point where they're tired of feeling like you just see me as a sex object. You just see me as your projection of me and you're not really hearing me. And so there's something really fascinating about listening to people, no distractions because they don't have their phone. And I think there's power in the voice. Um, Have either of you been on Clubhouse? right? You know, the power of voice. I mean, people were falling in love on Clubhouse because you get to hear somebody's story. And interesting enough, when we're talking in a dark room, even compared to a light room, people get more vulnerable. And when you can't see somebody's eyes, you right? If you're, if love is truly blind, your hearing is more enhanced. And so we ask questions. And when the person doesn't respond back, you say, are you still there? Did you hear me? How are you? Are you okay? And so you're picking up on all these nuances and that is the process of falling in love. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I guess that's true. You're not, um, you don't feel as vulnerable when you ask those like, how many kids do you want? Yes. Or like, what would you do in this situation? Because yes. you don't have to see their reaction. Yes. You can just like, like react in your own little bubble and not have to worry about like, Oh God, I can tell that they think I'm crazy because I asked this question. And like, I think they, one of them mentions on this season, like if she were to ask that question on like a first or second date, that somebody would think she was insane. 
Well, and the other thing that the show so so artfully does is they eliminate what we call the paradox of choice. The paradox of choice is that with the more options in anything, I'm less likely to choose any one and be satisfied with it. It's kind of a supplier demand issue. But they eliminate that by having 15 people. You, there's only a 15 number of opposite sex people that you can, you're going to be in the pods with. But they also screen out every person there is serious about finding love. So you don't have to worry that like there's players out there and I need to protect myself and I don't know if I'm going to get hurt by you or not. So it's, it's, they create safety in that way. And everybody's there for that reason. Again, no phones, no nothing else that you are there just for that similar to on The Bachelor. So I think there's something really amazing about that, that the relationships just progress much faster. See, I think I would watch if there was just a little like psychologist in the corner, just narrating the entire thing, because that's fascinating to me when I see it and I don't hear like the psychology behind it, I'm like, I don't know. They're, they sound a little nuts, but like if someone is describing what you're saying, I guess that's the point of, you know, if your YouTube channel, um, yes. but like having that background is what would catch me. So I think you need to go pitch yourself. Well, I'm, that's what part I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> so I, I am. And I think there is a show called, um, Married at First Sight, where they do actually have a therapist. I have not seen the show. I think I've seen it once, though. And I do believe there needs to be a place for therapy, but not where the person feels like I'm forcing them to stay together, right? It has to be like a neutral person. Or I'm all about, I'm writing a blog post about this right now, have a therapist, but make it private. You don't need to actually show the therapy session, but in the outtake, the person can say, I'm learning these things about myself, but it's informed by therapy. Because the problem is therapy is not meant to be on TV. It's meant to be confidential. And so we have a conflict right there, which is, and or on The Bachelor, they had this therapy episode where if the girl didn't open up, she went home. So it's like punitive. If you can't open up, you're going home. It's like that, that's not, that's not the point of therapy. So there's a place for therapy in the narration. There's a place for therapy in psychoeducation. There's a place in therapy to learn better communication skills, but it has to be done well and not feel like the therapist is, a, is hired by the producers for a certain outcome. So I would be very hesitant also to get behind a show if I felt like they were dictating what I was gonna do because I'm there to support the couple. Yeah, I suppose yeah. that's fair. And I think it's difficult, but like, I think, I guess it's hard to think about it as, from a ratings perspective of and course. actually finding love, because if you're actually on there to find love and they went through all this process of vetting someone, wouldn't it be really helpful if you have that behind the scenes? You're like, oh, I've opened up and I know more about myself and I'm going to apply this now, but. Well, here's what I think. And here's a nice way that I think it could really meet all the needs. I get it. The producers want to create an exciting show. They want their followers to stay till the end. But what you could do is enlist a therapist at the end, because I think what is the hardest part is the reintroduction back into the real world and making sense of what just happened to you. So again, keep it private. Just have the show though because if people can't afford therapy have the show endorse a therapist and give them the therapy after 
And I think what you'd have is more success in the couples making it later if they had that kind of support. So that's how I think it could be used successfully. Yeah, I just read, I mean, 99% sure it was a BuzzFeed article because that's all I read on the internet. Um, but I don't, I don't watch it, but I was discussing it with somebody. So I looked up like who's still together from season mm -hmm. one, Love is Blind, two years later. Oh, yes. Oh, some of them are down bad. <laughs> I mean, like what do we expect, right? But um, yeah, I, I think at least some of that didn't, it didn't have to go down as bad as it, it was described in the article. Mm -hmm. Had there been some serious help behind the scenes? Exactly. And, and here's the thing. If the producers are using their couples for fame, then protect your couples too. protect their narrative after the fact, make it a happy ending and have them launch into the world without all this doubt. So I just think, I think there's a way to do both. I really do, but it has to be thoughtful and um, you got to slow down and really think about what's best for the people themselves. The last thing I want to do is like expose my entire love life exactly. on TV and then like trauma bond with somebody right after because I had this terrible experience like going back into the real world. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Maybe I'll start watching reality TV now that I have. <laughs> I have some like debrief information afterwards available through your videos. Maybe I'll get into that. Um, and we so appreciate you talking about all of your courses and your background, but we do have some listener questions we'd right. like to ask you. Annika, do you want to kick us off? One of our listeners wants to know, how would you advise that individuals deal with their partner's relationship and or sexual past if it bothers them? So I think they're asking like past relationships, past sexual partners, how do you manage that if that bothers you in the relationship. These are always so hard because I have like a gazillion questions, right? And there's so much nuance in questions like this, but I get these because I do IG lives. So if it bothers you, I would say, be careful the questions you ask unless you're prepared to hear the answers. Really, that's my advice because we want to be like an open book or let's say the anxiously attached person has this idea that honesty is the best policy, I should know everything but sometimes we're not prepared for the answers. And be careful when you listen to someone's history. Remember, those relationships didn't work. So instead of feeling so insecure, oh my gosh, you know, he's, he's dated this supermodel. It's like, instead, the question is, what didn't you get in your relationship that you're looking for now? Because that's the bridge. We get so worried about somebody's exes and their patterns, and we try to figure too many things out, and we sometimes make assumptions that are actually not correct. But they're an ex for a reason. And then say, what's more important, what have you learned from those experiences and what are you looking for now? Because I don't want someone also to hold me to my history or my past and say, well, I've made this assumption about you based upon that. I've also grown and changed and learned, and I need you to meet me who I am now. Great advice. I think, like you said, if you are not prepared to hear the answers, probably don't ask those questions. Don't ask. 
Don't ask. Okay. Don't ask. Don't tell. We're going to go to the a little deeper into a further into a relationship with some marriage advice. Uh, this person asks, what is the most important relationship qualities for a successful marriage? Quite honestly, I would say, and I'll say this for my husband too, easygoing. I think if you're an easygoing, flexible person, then you can get along with a lot of different people. Ruth Bader Pearson had that great quote that said, happy marriages are those that have a short memory, right? That you don't remember all the things that have gone wrong and all the hurts because we can carry around. And the biggest thing, people get into therapy just for you to know, usually six years too late, six years too late in couples therapy. And the bank of resentment is so high by that point because you've been hurt so many times. It's like, we're not miracle workers. We can't shovel it out fast enough. But if you are not building new resentments and you're communicating well and you're healing and the person's easygoing and you're learning each other and you're curious, then you're doing well. It's interesting you mention um, that people start therapy six, to, six years too late, because one of the questions is what stage in a relationship should a couple see a relationship psychologist or therapist? Immediately. <laughs> um, I actually did even a little premarital therapy with my husband. Um, there was one issue in particular that I was a little bit worried about. And I thought, let's just start the process now. Let's just start open communication. Let's start talking about it. I was clearly interested in someone who is open to therapy because this is my profession. I, I'm a talker, right? I wanna talk, I wanna listen, I wanna get in there. I'm not afraid of it. I'm a hard worker, right? I'm like, I'm not afraid of working hard, but I don't want secrets and I, I wanna know where we are. So see it as couples enhancement. There are couples enhancement programs or even in the church. Um, do pre-cana, which is in the Catholic church. Other community groups have premarital counseling through your church or your community group. Get support from other couples. Start learning about what healthy relationships are because oftentimes if we haven't seen it ourselves, we don't know what we're looking for. So surround yourself by other people who are doing it right. But get into therapy, I'd say soon, sooner than later. Yeah, don't wait till there's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that I think you said it was one of your courses was like how to date with intent mm -hmm. and with you know, doing premarital counseling or even counseling kind of as soon as you, you have gotten married. Um, I think that can help with a lot of things if you didn't date with intent, because that's, that's right. even a new phrase to me. So I, you know, usually you're just like, oh yeah, this person's great. I can spend time with them. And we've been together three years. Mm -hmm. Now we are married. Um, there's not, I guess, it, it, there's like subconscious intentions there, but not like active. I'm thinking about it constantly. So yeah, that's a great, that's a great course to take. And then that's a great thing to follow up with is, is having therapy. And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
it's perfectly fine if you're like in kind of a long-term stable relationship to start not even like premarital counseling, but just couples counseling in general. What do you think of that? Absolutely. I've had so many people. Um, and, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm not um, rigid in any of this because I believe everybody can grow and change and people will say like, oh, I'm never going to date a, a, a nervous type again or a independent type again. That's not going to work. I'm like, but they're all people deserve a chance and it's all gradations and it's just going to be how you work together. Um, but if people are struggling that much that early, it's not going to get easier. So I also want to give people an out and provide some feedback that, you know, you guys are struggling quite a lot at this early stage. How is that going to look later? Right? Because I do think sometimes, um, where are they going to get that advice from? It's been very seldom that I've actually told people to, to quit on their relationship, but I do think you want to point out some things that may be um, feedback they need to get. Well, this has been a great discussion. We've talked a lot about your professional life, but we like to kind of end a little bit better personal side. So we have two great questions for you. At least I think they're great. I'll start with my favorite. If you were to gift everybody something tangible or advice, etc. otherwise, like no limits on this, what would you gift? I would gift everybody a loving, secure, functioning relationship because there's nothing better. It's like a warm blanket, someone to who gets you, who loves you, who understands you. I would gift everyone that. Yes. Oh my God. I'm like getting emotional. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that is, it's like a very special feeling for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. Hit me right in the feels there. <laughs> um, okay. Our last question that we ask everyone, and this is our favorite question to ask. It always stumps guests. Um, it could be again, anything. Uh, we've had a lot of really interesting answers. What is your unpopular opinion? My unpopular opinion that is that if you want to find love, you have to love yourself first. I don't like that at all. Cause it's not true. Oh, it's not true. It's not true. Think about it. Okay. So the way that we technically look about love, if I say you have to love yourself first, I'm saying to you, figure it out, do it on your own. But we learn to love in a relationship. So it's false advice to go say like, work on yourself. You're not ready for love yet. It's also like presumptive to think that only people in relationships love themselves. I know a, a lot of people in relationships who don't love themselves, but it, it kind of blames the victim. And I don't like it. I, I don't like it because A, we love in relationships and we should be saying, be the best that you can be and show up and open your heart. And you can be healed in relationships too, because we're wounded and we could be healed. But to think that I have to get ready on my own to be in a relationship is, is false advice. I just don't like it. It's unpopular opinion. I don't like it. Yeah, life is too short. I don't have enough yeah. time to learn to exactly. love myself. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to get out there. Yes. Um, yes. 
I think too, that kind of goes with like all sorts of other major life advice we get where it's like, oh, I'm not um, ready to get married because it's not the right time. Or I'm not ready to have kids because it's not the right time or make a big career move because I'm not, I don't have the skills yet. Like it's kind of along the same lines of no one's ever ready fully That's right. for anything. <laughs> so we say the same thing in depression. If you wait until you feel motivated, you'll never feel ready. You're not going to feel ready to do hard things. If speaking up and speaking your truth and being vulnerable is hard for you, you're never going to feel ready to do that. It is the act of doing that makes you want to do it more and the act of getting better at it. So I encourage practice. You're not going to wake up at 40 having had no relationship experience knowing what you want. You have to grow. You have to learn. You have to experience. So put yourself in there. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved. So put yourself out there. You can just always try is my advice. When we were young and like my, I had, I had a sister and anytime we had like a, a hard breakup, my mom would just be like, well, you know what? You got to pick yourself up and you got to get back out there. This happens. And that's why there's so many love songs, you know, they don't just, and they're never about like, oh, I'm never going to love again. It's like, I lost someone. I had a hard time with it and I, but I processed it and I'm back now. And she's just like, you gotta just, you, you gotta move and you gotta keep going. Mama knows best, right? Yeah, she does. We love Janet. Well, that is all the questions that we have for tonight. We so appreciate everything that you've brought to the table. I had a good time. I learned things. Annika's shaking her head as well. If anybody else wants to dive a little bit deeper into what you do, take your courses, um, where can they find you? I am back to love doc, back to love doc, com. I have my love school there. I have more about attachment styles, more about me. I am on Instagram. That is my jam. I'm a little bit on, on TikTok, but not much. Um, and I've got my rose therapy. I also have another YouTube uh, channel called um, Back to Love Doc, where I did actually highlight um, Love is Blind. I went through my predictions before the finale because I wanted to put make them public. Um, lots of other people could say, oh, I got it right. I'm like, but how do we know that? You have to make your prediction before the finale. So that's how you can find me, um, mainly on Instagram and on my website. Awesome. We will link those in the show notes. Um, definitely listen to this episode, take the quiz, and then let us know what your, your love style is and what you are. Yes, I love that. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to explain yourself. Of course. Thank you, ladies, so much for what you do. I think it's great to also help people figure out their career and where they're going and what that process is like because it is never a direct path to the no. journey of, of where you land. <laughs> <laughs>